And would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at that passage in Ephesians 5 together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've created. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. We pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Uh, we thank you for the gift of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would move in this place and that you would take the eternal truths of your word and that you would apply them to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us uh, who you are and what that means for us, that you would uh, take these truths and apply them directly uh, to the areas in our life where we just need to hear it this morning. And so we thank you that you are the teacher, that you are the one that illuminates our hearts and our minds. And so we thank you. We rest in that. We pray that we would be attentive to your leading in all things uh, this morning as we spend time in your word. We pray most of all that you would be glorified in this time, that you would be lifted up, that we, we would see you for uh, who you are, uh, that we would leave here being just in awe of your grace and your mercy and your love towards us. Uh, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you, you may or may not know if you know a little bit about my background. My undergraduate degree uh, was in architecture. Uh, I went to Texas A&M University. Uh, from 1995 to 1999. So I'm, I'm dating myself at that time, 1995, I was a freshman at Texas A&M and I was the first class, uh, in architecture, the school of architecture at A&M where you were required to take computer aided drafting, uh, AutoCAD, they call it, to learn how to do architectural drawings on a computer. Uh, up until that time, it was an option, but you didn't have to do it. You could still do hand drawing, like the old uh, drawing tables and slide rulers and all that kind of stuff. And so that was the first class where you had to take AutoCAD. And I remember uh, when I was, I think, late in my freshman year, maybe early in my sophomore year, I took my first AutoCAD class. And uh, it was real exciting because they, they'd take you in, they'd show all this stuff up on the screen uh, about what it could do and the possibilities. And I remember my professor opening this drawing that was a full 3D model of a 747 airplane that had been drawn in AutoCAD. And the point was to show you all the detail with which you could draw in this computer program and what it was capable of and all these things. And it was like, this is great. This is incredible. They're like, you're going to have to know this if you're going to get a job because this is what everybody uses now and this is where it's going. And so it was like I was all excited about learning AutoCAD. And then they handed you the manual and it was like this thick. And it was all these commands and all these things and your head is swimming. And I remember being so frustrated the first couple of weeks of school. I literally spent 12 hours on a project that would take me about 30 seconds to do now. And it was that complicated. It seems easy now, but at the time when you didn't know any of it, it was just really frustrating and it was really difficult. And I was thinking about this, that, this, that class and that time this week and the way that it was exciting, the, the possibilities that were there but then how it was so confusing and frustrating at hard at first. And I think a little bit like that is sometimes within the church when we talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked last week about being filled with the Spirit and this idea of, of the Holy Spirit that comes and invades our life and lives in and with us at all times when we come to faith in Jesus. And we talked a little bit last week about Jesus saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's talking to the disciples, he says, I'm going away, but it's to your advantage that I go away because the Holy Spirit's coming. And he starts telling you about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and what it's going to do and the way he's going to work and the way he's going to operate in our lives. And sometimes we go, yeah, that sounds great. Listen to all these things that God promises. But then we show up to the church or we spend time together with different things and the Holy Spirit seems mysterious 
and, and we have a hard time getting a handle on it and we're not exactly sure how this works. And so I think sometimes we're excited about the possibilities, but we feel like I did at that first AutoCAD class looking at it going, yeah, this is great, but how do we do that? And what does that look like? And so what we're trying to do last week and then this week and then next week is a short series within our time in Ephesians. We've been working through this letter that Paul wrote to the early church in Ephesus, and he mentions the Holy Spirit multiple times in this. And so as we're going through Ephesians, we're just kind of pausing and really thinking about this idea of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so last week, as we looked at verse 18, and he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We talked a little bit about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the definition I gave, big picture definition, was that there's a humble realism that we see ourselves as we are, that we are more sinful than we ever dared imagined. But there's a deep and abiding joy that comes as the Holy Spirit magnifies what God has done for us in Jesus. You are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope because of what Christ has done. And when we're seeing that, we're, we're, we're living right in the middle of that, of this deep realism and this deep and abiding joy together is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And so that was just big picture, big idea. But today and next week, what I want us to do is, is really kind of dig in on what it looks like to be operating that way, to be filled with the spirit and living in that. And as we go through and think about the things Paul says, I also want us to think about how we grow in that. We're going to see what he says it looks like. And I think if you're anything like me, you'll read those and you'll see those. And, and hopefully that marks your life or part of your life. But I think all of us would look at it and go, but I don't see that every second of every day and I want to grow in that. And so that's what we're going to do is look at what it looks like, but then how we can grow in that. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter five today. We're going to pick up right from where we were last week in verse 18. And we're really going to look at verses 19, 20 and 21. And he's going to say three things of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. Uh, this if you read what Paul's saying, it's all one sentence. It's all one idea here. And I think what he says is, is don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And then he gives you these three modifiers of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. And so look at what he says in verses 19, 20 and 21. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so there's three things that he says there. That if you're filled with the Spirit, that this is what your life looks like. A life of praise, a life of thankfulness, and a life of humble submission to other believers. And I want us to think about what that means. Next week we'll come back and there's three more we're going to look at next week. Where we talk about obedience to the Word, bearing fruit for God's mission, and then uh, being in prayer. And those six together give us a pretty good picture. It's not all inclusive. It's not exhaustive, but it gives us a pretty good picture of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. And so that's what we're going to do this week and next week. But let's begin with the three that he that he lays out real clearly for us in verses 19 through 21. And so as we do this, just as a fair warning, as we think about what it looks like to be filled with the spirit, there's part of this that we're going to I'm just going to point you to there's some practices and some habits and some things that we can help cultivate to grow in this. And so there's a part that belongs to us in this, that we're working with the spirit uh, we're working with what God is doing and we're being obedient to the things he tells us. And that helps us to walk more fully in the spirit. 
And so I, I think we know this in just about everything, but sometimes we can maybe uh, kind of check out when it comes to this area in the church. And so we know this in, in just about anything. If, if you want to get uh, in better shape, you want to exercise and you want to feel better, let's say you go and you buy a new uh, treadmill. And you bring it into your house and you set it up and you get it all ready and you go, I'm going to start running on that. And every day you get up and you walk past it and you go, tomorrow, I'm going to start running on that, right? And you do that over and over and you just kind of keep going. And then uh, a month later, you decide to take the treadmill back to the store. And you go, it doesn't work. Hasn't helped me at all, right? Then you go, well, what's wrong with it? Does it not work? No, it works. It, it moves. Well, what's the problem? Well, I don't use it. That would be ridiculous to return it for that reason. But that's kind of the way we operate sometimes with the things that God tells us. We see clearly what God's word says and what it looks like and the things that we're called to do. And we don't do those things. And then we go, but why am I not filled with the spirit? Uh, G.K. Chesterton. He was a brilliant writer, believer, uh, late 1800s in England. And he had this quote that he said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I think part of what we see when we get to this idea of being filled with the spirit is there's things that God clearly tells us to be a part of and to make habits and to be doing in our life. And we just don't do them. And then we question why we're not walking in the power of the spirit. Or we read the book of Acts and we go, wow, look at what God was doing. But then we look at the things that mark their life and we're not doing those things. And so I just want to challenge you from the beginning as we look at these things. There are some things that we can begin to add into our life that God meets us in that. And so we do have a part to play as we consider these. So with that said, let's look at verse 19. The first thing he says. So the end of 18, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And the first thing we could we could summarize that verse is it's a life of praise that an overflow of our heart, praising who God is and what he's done for us in our life. And that goes directly with what we said last week. As far as that banner over what we we're talking about, this humble realism with a deep and abiding joy that I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. That if I'm living in that tension of seeing my sin in light of God's grace and what he's done for me, that is going to produce in me a heart of praise. That I don't deserve any of it, but God's done for me what I could never do for myself. And when I when I see that and when I start to wrestle with that, it's going to lead me to praise God for the grace he has given me in my life. And so just as a general statement, we could just say it's a heart of praise. The Holy Spirit, the work of the spirit is to magnify Jesus, to take what is his and make it yours. We saw that last week. Jesus says that in John's gospel. It's to take the work of what Christ has done, his finished work and magnify it to you. To make it greater, to make it growing in your life and in your heart. And as it does, the grace of God and the way you understand it is growing. And when you see the grace of God in your life, it results in praise. It can't not. When we really are seeing who God is and what he's done for us. And so the, the problem, or not problem, but I want you to honestly think about it. Does that mark your life? 
Do you walk around in a constant state of praise, overwhelmed by God's grace every minute of every day? I think if we're honest, probably not. Hopefully that's part of your life. Hopefully it's in there. But if we're truly walking by the Spirit, he says we're going to have this life of praise. And I want to be walking by the Spirit in all things, in all times. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And so what do we do? How do we help to foster that if it's a life of praise? And so Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, to not set your mind on the things of the flesh, but set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And he talks about how setting your mind on the flesh is going to cause all sorts of problems. Setting your mind on the Spirit is going to bring peace and life. It's similar to what he's saying here in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he says in chapter 4 and verse 23. And he's telling us to do that over and over. And I think if we're going to be walking in the spirit, filled with the spirit, that we set our minds on those things. And so if you look closely at what he says here, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Does that mean every time we see each other, we walk up and we just start singing to each other, right? Like if I see you in the grocery store, I just walk up and just start busting out singing, right? That would get really old if it was me doing that to you. You'd be like, please stop. It'd be good if it was Duck. It'd be great. If Duck came up to you in the grocery store, you'd be like, let's have it, man. That's awesome. If it was me, you'd be like, ah, okay. I appreciate the sentiment, but you don't need to sing anymore. Right. No, he's not talking about just in our normal conversation. But if I think if you look closely at the the image that he's giving us is when we gather together for corporate worship, as we gather together and make noise to the Lord and we sing, he says, making melody of out of your heart, that it's coming out of an overflow of understanding. Our heart is fueled by our understanding and thinking. That's why we're transformed by the renewal of our minds and it gets down in and we begin to see that. And then there's an overflow and we sing. We're singing to God, but we're also encouraging one another as we sing. When we gather together, that's part of what we're doing is we're hearing one another singing God's uh, about God's grace and his glory and how wonderful he is, that it's an encouragement And so if we want to have lives of praise, the Bible tells us that we need to spend time in corporate worship together. In Hebrews, I want you to follow this and think about this. We'll come back to this next week. Being obedient to God's word is going to lead to being filled with the spirit. Those go hand in hand because the Holy Spirit has inspired God's word. Make sense? We're filled with the spirit. We're doing the things the spirit says. The Bible tells us what the spirit says. And so in Hebrews, it says not to neglect meeting together is the habit of some. He says, don't quit getting together, come together and worship. And in Hebrews, the context there talks about do so all the more as the day approaches, talking about as Jesus is returning and things are getting more difficult and the world is sinful and it's a struggle that you need to make time to be together to worship. And so we encourage one another when we gather together in that way. And so if we're going to be filled with the spirit, we remind one another collectively that helps fuel our emotions for God. We're we're putting into practice a habit that is forming and helpful in our life. And so when we begin to do that, making regular times together with God at the center, it helps to inform the rest of our life of life of praise. 
And so there's a couple of things I want to be careful when we talk about, though, about what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that this is time with God. And when you leave this building, it's not time with God. That's not true. It's all time with God. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. He is always with you. He is walking with you in Christ. It's God is everywhere and in all things. And so it doesn't mean that we show up here and we meet God here and then we leave the doors and he's not here. He's always with us. And so we don't want to make that mistake. But there's something powerful about gathering together as a group of believers. And God calls us to do that. He commands us to do that. And so we need those times as we come together. But I also say that I see this a lot recently. People will tell me, uh, ask the, it just happens, right? They say, well, what do you do for a living? They say, well, I'm a pastor. And then they immediately tell me uh, their spiritual resume. Well, I went to church once, like, or whatever, you know, depending on where they are. Or I grew up here, I go here, I go to this church. Or a lot of people will tell me, oh, well, I don't really go to church now, but I watch church on my computer on Sunday. And they say that a lot. And that's more and more common. There's nothing wrong with watching a sermon on your computer. There's nothing wrong with listening to worship music in your car and praising God as you're going down the road. There's nothing wrong with podcasts or any of those things. Just understand what the Bible says. It's not a substitute for gathering together with other believers. It's not. It's not the same thing. And so we're called to be gathering together as a family of faith, worshiping God. And that is formative in the way we do that. I read a book last year by a guy named uh, James Smith. It's called uh, You Are What You Love. And the whole book is him making the case that liturgies, like we often think of liturgy about what we do here in the church, rituals, things that we come and the way we do it and the things we say. That's part of it. But he makes the case that there's liturgies in everything. And he says liturgies uh, are, are things that are formative in our life. And in the whole book, he, he talked about how gathering together for worship and the things that God's told us to do, to sing and to pray, to hear the preaching of God's word, to come to the table and take communion. He says those things are powerfully formative in our life. And God knew what he was doing when he told us to do that. And I remember reading that book and I'll be honest, I was skeptical of some of the things he was saying. But about halfway through that book, as I was reading and thinking about it, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm here every week. <laughs> Right. So 52 weeks out of the year, I'm usually here 50 weeks out of the year in this church. And I'm so thankful that I am. It has been greatly formative in my life the last 10 years to be here worshiping with you. And as I thought about it, as I read that book, I went, he's right. It's changing my life by gathering together with other believers and singing God's praises. And it's not just because I have to be here. You know, when we, we go on vacation or we go away and we're not here, and it's so weird to me. It's really hard not to be here. And I think it's because God's made us for worship. He's made us for communities, made us for these things, and he calls us to do those. And so when Paul says being filled with the Spirit is going to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And so I just want to ask, as you think about that, is that true of you? Are you living lives of praise? Can you not wait to gather together with God's people to raise your voice to how wonderful he is? That's a mark of walking in the spirit, being filled with the spirit. Right. So that's the first one. Look at verse 20, the second one here. 
It says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a thankfulness. Again, this goes right back to what we talked about last week, that humble realism with a deep abiding joy. When I see my sin and I see God's grace, when I'm seeing those things as they are, it should lead me to an overflow of thankfulness in my life. God has not given me what I deserve. If God gave me what I deserve, I would not wake up today. I would not be alive. Would have ceased to exist a long time ago. Would have stopped my sin in its tracks and said no more and I'm done with that and I'm finished and you're done. But the fact that I wake up today is a testimony to God's grace. And so when we start to see ourselves as we are and God's grace to us and what he's done for us, what that does is it produces a thankfulness. It has to. As we see God's grace in our life, that we are more sinful than we could ever comprehend. But yet God is so loving and gracious and long suffering and kind And he draws us to himself and he's patient with us and he continues to change us from one degree of glory of another. And so when we see that, it should spark in us a thankfulness, giving thanks always and every and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus. But it's easy for us to forget this. It's easy for us to become ho-hum about grace. Which is why we need to not neglect meeting together to encourage one another to be reminded. But what happens in our daily life is we let circumstances cloud what we believe. I want you to think about that for just a second. We let the circumstances of the things coming in our life and they begin to affect our emotions and our feelings. And we start to operate on our emotions and our feelings more than what it is that we believe. And so the things that are right there in front of us week in and week out as difficult things happen. As we struggle with a sinful world in this life, as we're struggling against our own flesh. Remember, in this section, Paul's saying that over and over. This is who you were. Then you've met God and his grace. This is who you now are. So now walk in this newness of life of who you now are. Put off your old self. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. But there's a struggle. There's a constant struggle to go back. And so what happens is when difficult things come, we let circumstances begin to affect us and our feelings. And then we operate over our out of our feelings rather than what we know to be true, what God has told us. And what happens is we we lose that thankfulness. We lose the gratitude of what God has done for us because we're letting the the present things cloud out what is true about who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Go back to chapter four in Ephesians and you see him say this. Look at verse twenty nine. We covered this about a month ago. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Right. It's a general exhortation of of being positive. uh, Of of operating out of a thankfulness and a gratitude and building people up rather than tearing them down. But then look at the very next verse and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. When we're not thankful, we're forgetting what God's done for us. 
We're not operating in the fullness of the spirit because the spirit comes and magnifies Jesus and what he's done, which is going to produce in us thankfulness. But when we walk around bitter and angry and upset and tearing down and negative, it says we're grieving the spirit. Because the spirit's reminding you of what God has done and how good he is. And you're going, no, I don't think so. And so we grieve the spirit when we continue to operate that way. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves you. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean he's not still operating. It's still at work. But oftentimes we begin to listen to our own negative emotions and the things that are happening right in front of us louder than we're hearing God. That's why we need to gather together. Why we need to have lives of worship. What we're going to talk about next week of, of being in prayer and in God's word. Because those things combat that. But when we see who God is and what he's done, there's a thankfulness that comes from that. And so here's the question I want you to consider. Being filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit? So are you overwhelmed by God's grace with a thankfulness in all things? Does that mark your life? Are you, do you find yourself daily just thanking God for the blessings he's given you in your life? Or is it always negative? And so being filled with the Spirit looks like we're going to be thankful for all these things. Just a side note here. He says here, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we're giving thanks for the evil and the sin we see in the world. Does that make sense? It's not that we're going, oh, thank you, God, that you let this terrible thing happen. Or thanking God for the, for the things that are going on that we see in the world. When we see awful tragedy and sin, God says he mourns with us. He's close to us in our mourning. He's with us in those things. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that we see all things that God is still at work in them. So I think of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. You know the story of Joseph. The brother sell him into slavery. And he's taken his own brother's. Throw him in a pit and then sell him into slavery and go and tell his dad he's dead. They do these awful things to him. And yet God is faithful and he takes care of Joseph and he does all these wonderful things in his life. And he reconciles them at the end. And there he is standing with his brothers and he looks at him and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he's holding fast that God's at work in all things. And he's seeing that play out. He doesn't say, uh, thank God that you guys are evil. Or what you did was so evil and thank God that it was so wonderful. He says God was working even in those things. And when we understand and we see that throughout Scripture, that God is at work even in the hard things. And he's shaping us and he's molding us and he's using it for our good and his glory. We can give thanks always and for everything to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about, a thankful heart in all things. But then the last thing I want you to see here, and maybe this one isn't as intuitive as the other two, but the third thing he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he talks about this idea of submitting to each other as believers. That if we're filled with the Spirit, that we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And, and I think this goes hand in hand with what we said last week. If we are more sinful than we ever dared imagine. That if we come to this realization that we are sinful people that desperately need a savior and what God has done for us in Jesus. 
And as we see that and we become aware of that and we now want to put off that old self and walk in the newness of our identity in Jesus. We want to be renewed day by day. We need other people speaking the truth to us and helping us to do that. It's the way God's designed us. He's designed us for community and to do that with one another. He goes so far as to give us different gifts in the Holy Spirit that none of us have all of them. He gives us differently. And the reason he does that, I believe the reason he does that is to show us that we need one another because we don't have all of it. It's to bring us into a loving community together to submit to one another, to help each other, to to go from walking in this darkness to in the light. I need other people speaking the truth to me. And being filled with the spirit is that I can stop and I can actually listen. Not get my feelings hurt. The way that works, the only way I can do that is if I'm resting in my identity in Jesus. Right. So go back to what we said last week. I'm more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but I'm more loved and accepted than I ever could hope. And only when I'm holding fast that I'm more loved and accepted and it's all because of Jesus. Can I hear those things? Otherwise, it'll crush me. If somebody points something out where I'm not following God and my identity is not rooted and grounded completely in Christ and what he's done for me, it's going to crush me. Oh, no, I'm not a good person. I'm not doing that well. Exactly. That's why I need Jesus and why I need other people to speak the truth to me. That's why Paul says in chapter four to speak the truth and love to one another. And so that humble realism as we see our sinfulness also points us that I desperately need other people weighing in with me, holding uh, me accountable, pointing to the things that God has said and what he's doing. There's times when we're out of step with the spirit. And if we really love one another, we will willingly come alongside each other and let each other know that. And the way we do that is we point each other to God's word. That's the way we see it. That's how we know And so we need other people to walk alongside us because we are more sinful. And I need other people to do that. I think if we're real honest and I'll just I won't put it on anybody else. I'll just say for me. I'm really, really good at justifying my sin. We read in Galatians just a minute ago about the fruit of the spirit. And it talks about the fruit of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit And it says all these things that are walking by the flesh and it talks about dissensions and division and jealousy and fits of anger. But then he says, I warn you uh, that these are not the things that will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know about you, but I'm good at justifying my anger. I'm angry because I'm right. Well, you know what the Bible clearly says is that I'm not walking by the spirit when I do that. When I walk around angry and frustrated and letting people have it and telling them. It's, I've lost it. I've stepped out of the place of, of walking with the spirit and now I'm doing it in my own sinful flesh. And I need other people that can come alongside me and go, hey, you're doing that again. Do you know who God is and what he's done for you and remind me of my identity in Jesus and to be able to walk with me in that? And it's hard sometimes because we get real defensive. 
I was talking to a friend this week. said, you know, if I make a list of things that I know I struggle with, right? If I, if I write down the things that I go, man, I'm really struggling in this area, in this area, in this area. And I sit down, I make a list, and then I go to Luke and I share it with him. And I go, hey, I want you to help me with these things. This is where I'm struggling. And he'd say yes, and he would do that, and it'd be good. Now, if Luke came to me the day before, and I've already made the list, and he said, hey, I want to share some things with you. I think you're struggling in this area, this area, and this area. And it was my exact list. I'd be offended. Right? I'd be like, how dare you? Right? Why? Because of my pride. My flesh gets involved. And even though I know that to be true, and even though I need the help in that, a lot of times I can go, oh, don't, don't tell me that. That's because I'm not rooting my identity fully in Jesus. I'm rooting part of it in this idea that I'm a really good person, that I've got it all together, and I don't really need any help, unless I ask for it. Right? But what I need to see more clearly is that I desperately need Jesus in every area of my life. That I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. And it's all because of what Christ has done. And when I get to that place, that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And when I start to veer off and people come alongside, you go, yes, thank you. And it doesn't always go that way, by the way. It doesn't. If Even if we're doing this well and you come along some side and you go, I, I think we're off here. Usually it's like, fine, thanks. Right? And it takes a couple days. I've had this happen a lot. I've done it a lot. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody else. I've done it a lot. And then three days later, you're like, thank you, you're right. And you know why? Because the Spirit comes and He speaks truth to you and He points you to who you are in Jesus. And it magnifies Jesus and His grace. And you go, yeah, thank you, God, that you love me enough to continue to work in and through me. And so those are not easy things. But I, I just want to encourage you to a couple things as we end here. One is that we would make a habit of worshiping together. I am always saddened when I see this, but it's true. Uh, devoted believers that are member of a church on average come 50% of the time. There's all these church statistics. It's true. If all our members showed up, we wouldn't fit in this room. <laughs> but we always fit in this room. Now, that's not a point of anything other than is worship and worshiping together a priority if we're going to live lives of worship then part of that is that we're going to be worshiping together and be excited about it if we want to see a church that is overflowing with the spirit being filled with the spirit that's part of it but then that last part as we talk about walking in submission to one another i'm just going to say this real honestly it doesn't happen on sunday morning not in any real deep or meaningful way doesn't mean that it doesn't happen or it can't happen here on a Sunday morning as we have those times together. But to really know one another, to be able to speak the truth in every area of our lives, to really see discipleship taking root in everything that we be filled with the spirit and all that we do. It's more than just this. It's more than just this time. And so we have different ways that you can be involved in, in a missional community group or in a DNA group with two or other guys with guys and three ladies together. And we spend time in those things so that we can be known and to know others and encourage each other about our identity in Jesus. And I think that's very biblical. That's not some little thing that we made up. We often say deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. And the reason is that Jesus had the masses and then he had 12 and then he had three. And that's the way he made disciples. And I think he knew what he was doing. It's not, not a program or a plan, but that's the way Jesus did it. 
And so if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and seeing these marks in our lives, it's going to be mean committing to one another in these ways. Reminding each other when we're not thankful what we have to be thankful for. We need each other in this. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us in Jesus. I thank you that uh, we have much, much to be thankful for. Most of all, what you've done for us in Christ. That despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, despite our, our turning our backs on you, you continue to love us and pursue us and care for us. And for that, we say thank you. I pray that you would reveal to us today as the spirit moves in this place, that you would reveal to each one of us the areas that we're not fully living in to what you've designed us to be. And I pray that we'd be greatly encouraged that you have more for us and that we would seek diligently to do that together. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.